This archival program of Design Matters with Debbie Millman was produced for Voice America Internet Radio. New programs with better audio quality are now being produced for Design Observer. You can subscribe in the iTunes Store or at the Observer Media Channel on Design Observer. Welcome to Design Matters with Debbie Millman, the show that takes you inside the provocative and stimulating world of design and branding as it intersects with contemporary culture. Here's your host of Design Matters, Debbie Millman. For the last couple of days, I have been in Las Vegas. I was there on business. My partner Marcus and I were pitching the redesign of the logo of one of the casinos there. After our meeting, we went trolling up and down the strip and ended up on the second floor of the Venetian Hotel. I had never been there before, and we arrived at about 10 p.m., and as we walked off the escalator, the first thing that struck us was the light. Though it was a vast, windowless space, the lighting was created to mimic the real-life daylight of a late afternoon in Italy. It was so realistic that we suddenly felt what it must be like to be in Alaska during spring fever. It was disconcerting and pleasurable at the same time. What was even odder was the bizarre but real water canals running throughout. You see, the second floor of the Venetian was created as an exact replica of the Rialto Bridge, complete with gondoliers steered by sexy sailors singing Italian opera. The only thing that threw the experience off was the Ann Taylor and Banana Republic stores situated on the faux cobblestone streets. Though I have never been to Venice, I can't imagine that these chain stores have a major presence on the streets there. At least I pray with all my heart that they don't. Marcus and I watched people shop for garish jewels and neon-colored short-sleeve button-down shirts, and we witnessed them gamble away what mostly seemed like hard-earned money that had been saved for a very long time. We watched as people fingered their crumpled bills tightly right up until the moment they put it down on the tables for the dealers to take away. I confess that I find gambling fascinating. And while I do it from time to time, I must admit that I likely have the worst luck at gambling than anyone else that I know. That doesn't stop me from doing it. It just keeps me from doing it a lot. There's only so much money a girl can lose and still hold on to a semblance of dignity. While I'm in the midst of gambling, something rather strange happens. I find that with every spin of the roulette wheel, with every pull of the one-armed bandit, with every card that is turned over, in those seconds before the ball drops, in those seconds before the numbers or the symbols or the cards are revealed, time slows down. It almost stops. And in those suspended milliseconds, there is a kind of hope and a certain sort of optimism that emerges. There is the hope that you will win big, hit the jackpot, and your heart pounds, and your mind races, and you wonder if the next moment will be it, when you will finally, for once and for all, show the world that you are indeed a winner after all. No wonder it's addictive. We live in a culture wherein money is the chief measurement of success. Money, as a cultural object, contains a potent mix of acquisitiveness and insecurity. 
No matter what a person's financial standing, many folks do not feel they have enough, and most feel that they have nowhere near enough. According to Psychology Today, what is fascinating and unusual about these people, when compared with how they spend their money elsewhere, it is their complete abandon to the act of throwing away their money, money that in Las Vegas brings in little return except the act of throwing it away. And for most of them, it is not a wild or pleasurable abandon. If anything, it seems a determined and often a cranky abandon. But it is abandon. They know what they're doing, and they do it with almost frenetic, although also somehow glum energy, and they have come a long way and planned a long time to do it. Then they take breaks to eat, but many queuing up on lines for half an hour or longer to save money at a $5 buffet. This behavior is difficult to understand since before and after they've eaten, they're willing to lose those same $5 in minutes or even seconds at the games. Money plays a dangerous and very intriguing role in our culture and in our lives and in most, if not all, of our relationships. We dream and hope for freedom on so many levels, and money is often the path we think we need to get there. And though many of our wars are fought under the guise of religion, money and power often figure prominently in these struggles as well. Money also plays a significant role in design. If we aren't designing something that we are getting paid for, it is often disregarded as fine art or a vanity or passion project. It is, it is often in these unpaid excursions that designers do some of their best and most compelling work. One of the best examples of this is Stefan Sagmeister's Cranbrook poster. I think that a true conundrum exists when we assess design and money. Only a certain level of success seems respectfully permissible. Once you re reach the financial prowess of an interbrand or a future brand, suddenly you are either perilously close to, if not outright considered, a sellout. And yet so many of us still have practices that condone taking on speculative work, and to me, this is the most outrageous and illogical gamble of all. The value of design in our culture is changing at light speed. We often bemoan our lack of control in this. But any good marketer knows that if you don't create a focused, compelling position for your product or your brand, others, whether it be friends, foes, competitors, or customers, will be more than happy to do it for you. It is time now to make a strong statement. Let's not leave it to the business magazines or the business schools or the marketing community, or the media. Some may say it is a gamble, but I prefer to think of it as a calculated risk, a risk in order to gain some advantage. It is time we stop bemoaning the state of graphic design, the state of our clients and colleagues, and band together to show the world what design can and does accomplish. It is a gamble only we can make, and one I believe it is well worth taking. I believe that our lives and our livelihood depend on it. Welcome to Design Matters with Debbie Millman. My guest today is the feisty Kenneth Fitzgerald. Before we get started with our interview, please let me tell you a little bit more about him. Kenneth Fitzgerald is a designer, a design critic, a curator, and an editor. 
He is an associate professor of art at Old Dominion University in Norfolk, Virginia. He has also taught at the University of Minnesota and the Montserrat College of Art. He is also a prolific writer and has contributed to such publications as Emigre, I, Idea, and AIGA Voice. For seven years, he wrote, designed, edited, and published the independently distributed magazine, The News of the World, and he has curated and organized art and design shows all over the country. Welcome, Kenneth. Thank you. Thank you very much for having me. Oh, thank you for being here. So I'm going to start out hot and heavy this Friday afternoon, Kenneth. In Emigre number 66, you wrote this. I'm quoting you. To consider how to teach or theorize about graphic design, a basic question must be answered. What is its ultimate goal? So, Kenneth, what do you think is the ultimate goal of graphic design? Well, when I wrote that, I was really thinking the, the, the point of that was for everyone to ask themselves, what was the point of their doing this activity? Mm-hmm. You know, I have a, a hard time thinking about you know, graphic design as this you know, entity, this, this thing out there that has independent life and, um, you know, this, this abstraction. But I, you know, I'm very interested in what people do and what choices people make. And so um, maybe this is avoiding the question. But, uh, <laughs> I still want to know what you think the ultimate goal is. Well, I think the ultimate goal is, well, what I was saying there is um, I think a lot of design is just to keep design going, that a lot of design is for good reasons uh, about graphic design. It's, it's graphic design that uses graphic design language and you recognize what it is. And in a lot of cases, that's, you know, that's appropriate. That's, that's, that's what's needed. In other cases, well, no, it's, it's not. It, it's the um, resort to sort of formula. And so those things get together with the sort of self perpetuation that, um, you know, there is a point that a lot of people will stop at about, well, will I do this? You know, am I going to uh, make this kind of choice in, in what I do? Because they're afraid that, well, it won't be seen as graphic design. I won't be, you know, recognized either by my peers as doing um, acceptable work or the... Um, you know, I'll look like an amateur or the, the client will, will turn it down. And now, what do you mean by resorting to formula work? What do you consider to be formula work? Um, well, I, I sort of feel I, I know it when I see it. I think there is... Kind of like pornography. Um, <laughs> yeah. I'm feisty today, Kenneth. <laughs> that's, that's okay. Um, it's... It's, it's work where the graphic design languages that are established about um, are, are really utilized. You can really recognize. So cliche. Work. It's, it's sort of cliche, and it's, and it's um, I would say, to the side of graphic design work, which I think is the, um, you know, I think there's a realm for work that is um, an expression of the honest craftsperson, you know, where somebody says, look, I don't have to redesign the wheel, but... There still so more functionally driven design, um, bank statements, or um, perhaps, but e- even more so. 
it's sort of like, um, you know, I think in terms of furniture that, um, you know, I don't want my table, you know, rethought necessarily, but I would like people to be, you know, whoever's making it to take care that uh, how the joints go together or my dresser that they've got dovetailed joints, things like that. And it's, you know, that's, and you can look at the work and say, well, this isn't exploring the, you know, the bureauness of this thing and, and rethinking the whole idea of how clothes are stored. But I don't want that. I want this nice bureau that's made out of this nice wood and, the, and the, it's going to hold up for a while, for quite a, a long time. Mm-hmm. And I think there's design, you know, a, a lot of design like that where you can say, well, it's not, you know, conceptually cutting edge, but so, you know, so what? It's it's the work of honest craftspeople who are not just trading in cliches, but who are um, reinvigorating, who's who's exploring tradition and, and adding to it. Well, I'm obviously going to want to come back after our break to talk about that. Um, We have to take our first break, unfortunately. Um, I'd like to let everybody know that they're listening to Design Matters with Debbie Melman on Voice America Business. I am your host, Debbie Melman, and my guest today is designer, design critic, curator, and editor, Kenneth Fitzgerald. We will be right back with our broadcast after these messages, so please don't go away. Listen wherever you are. 24-hour business and financial news. Solid, focused, and informed. The leader in business talk. Voice America Business at voiceamerica.com. Hi, I'm Daryl and Reith of Campbell Soup Company, and I'm excited to invite you to the Fuse brand identity and package design event this April in New York City. Join me in discussing the power of research and design as they come together in a strategic huddle to drive the Campbell's Chunky brand into the end zone. Plus, hear from design gurus Rem Kulhas and Philip Stark, as well as brand leaders from Method, Nike, and Target, who will discuss how synergistic strategy and design drive brand innovation, consumer loyalty, and profitability. For more information, call 888-670-8200. Visit www.iirusa.com forward slash BIPD or email register at iirusa.com. Mention that you heard about the event from Design Matters and receive a $200 discount off the standard fee. Rise to the challenge. See you in New York City on April 24th through the 26th at the Waldorf Astoria. Tune into Small Business Trends Radio with Anita Campbell every Tuesday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, 1 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Business Channel. Each week, Anita and expert guests provide a big-picture view of the small business market, identifying the trends and major events driving the robust growth of the small business market. Whether you are a small business owner or a company of any size desiring to sell small businesses or reach the small business market with a product or service, Small Business Trends Radio is your resource for trends that influence the global small business market. Right here on the Bottom line for business talk, Voice America Business. Achieve total wealth management. Listen to Three Dimensional Wealth with Roy Diefendorf every Monday at 2 p.m. Pacific, 5 Eastern on Business America Radio. Three Dimensional Wealth is a show dedicated to teaching you a values-based approach to comprehensive total wealth management through practical strategies and expert advice. Take your first step down the road of financial independence. Listen to Three Dimensional Wealth with Roy Diefendorf Mondays at 2 p.m. Pacific, 5 Eastern, here on the bottom line in business talk, businessamericaradio.com. 
the bottom line in business talk. Voice America Business. We're back with Design Matters with Debbie Millman. If you have a question for Debbie, feel free to call us at 866-472-5790. Once again, here's the host of Design Matters, Debbie Millman. Welcome back. It is 3.18 Eastern Time, and you are listening to Design Matters with Debbie Millman. I'm your host, Debbie Millman, and my guest today is designer, design critic, curator, and editor, Kenneth Fitzgerald. If you'd like to join our conversation or if you have a question for Kenneth, our phone lines are open. Please call 1-866-472-5790. So, Kenneth, before the break, we were talking a little bit about formulaic versus non-formulaic design, and I'd like to ask you, um, how would you describe the current state of graphic design? Um, eh. mm-hmm. Okay, I guess. Mediocre, lukewarm? Yeah, and um, I don't know if that's necessarily bad, but um, I certainly don't pay as much attention or look forward to uh, hearing about things as much as I used to, and that, that could be me. Now, so you say that it's sort of, you know, eh, mediocre, lukewarm. Um, why do you think that's happening right now? Um, I just feel that just history is cyclic, where uh, cyclical, I suppose, uh, where there are times of lots of intellectual formal ferment, and um, then things get um, established. There's this cycle of dynamism and then stasis or static to to sort of lock those developments in, in place and really chew them over. And then eventually um, so that dynamic starts to uh, um, insinuate itself and, and announce itself again. And we're just sort of, um, I think it's just, just that. When do you think the last most robust time of graphic design was, the most interesting? Um, I know per... Well, I would say it was um, the early to the sort of like the mid-90s, all, all that era, where I got interested in it, where I, you know, before I just... The illegibi- illegibility wars? Uh, yeah, if you have to, have to call, it, call it that. The illegibility era. <laughs> yeah. So who do you think was doing good work then? Um, I, I just thought there was just all kinds of interesting stuff, you know, going on. I mean, it was... For me, it was, um, I really enjoyed seeing the things, but mainly it was, wow, people are talking about design in the way, um, in, in an interesting way, as the way I think somebody should talk about this. You know, as much as I thought about design before then, it was the feeling of, these people don't know what they've got here. You, you know, why isn't anybody talking about design in these ways, linking it to a wider culture? Um, and... Um, asking these sort of you know, simple questions. And, um, so for me, I really think about it in terms of um, the people who were, who were writing things because I was, I was reading. reading. I read Emigrant. Uh-huh. Yeah, well, I want to talk to you about that in, in a little bit. You've written, you've written quite frequently about how designers bemoan the way that they're treated in the business community and by folks in other creative endeavors and You've also written that you believe that a broader and deeper appreciation of design can and should only lead to its demise as a specialist profession, and I really want to know why you feel that way. Um, 
Well, sort of like with the first question, I, I, I'm all the time really asking, you know, what am I, what am I teaching, or, or what is this thing all about? And I, and I asked that, you know, when I was an undergraduate in art school. You know, what is the, the point of, um, of doing this? And um, the point of, of doing design work, or the, the point of the, teaching, the point or of, you know, what is it? You know, what does it mean to me? Mean to me personally? And uh, I think I've lost track of the original question. <laughs> Well, about writing that have, if the public were to have a deeper and broader appreciation of design, that it can and should only lead to its demise as a specialist profession. Excuse me. I think I think about that in terms of um, you know what is the purpose of art. You know, I, I think of it in those terms or design. If everybody really appreciates something, you know, take me as an example. That um, the more I got into design, well, the more I said, well, I want to do some of that. Mm-hmm. And it was certainly the impulse with art, and particularly with art, the feeling is, oh, you've got to have arts. You know, if, if, if our, everybody was an artist, it would be a great culture. Okay, let's make everybody an artist. What does that do for for art? And the same thing for for design, whether you, you know, like it or not. If, if you have a really, um, you know, a really knowledgeable client, Somebody who really gets it, who really understands it, doesn't you know? Doesn't it then follow that? Hey, you know, I want to do that too. Why should they have all the fun? Well, I don't know that that's. Nece- I mean, I don't know that I necessarily agree with you. I think that if you have a really knowledgeable client, that if they're really knowledgeable, they know that you're the specialist, and that while they might have an appreciation or. Um, a certain understanding, not being trained as a designer, they would probably trust the fact that you are a trained practitioner more and allow you to do work that might be more breakthrough, more provocative, more honest, because they don't have those same constraints, not fully understanding what design is capable of. I agree, and I would admit I overstated the case. And because I really wanted to think about it, and I think there, there is a spectrum. And I, I agree with that as, you know, I, I can design things, and it, they're, they're okay. But for me is um, I'd much rather see Rudy Van design my work. It's, it's like getting a, you know, having Chuck Close do your portrait, mm-hmm. you know. And so, uh, you know, um, I, I could design, um, you know, my writing, I suppose, but it's, it's much more interesting to go to somebody who's, much more invested in in me, and also who is not me, mm-hmm. because I I like to think I really get design. You know, I'm I'm willing to turn this over and say, here here's here's my writing. Go and do something with it. Don't bother me with details. Well, what do you think of the current design renaissance that we're the so-called design renaissance that we're living in now, where the business community is recognizing design's contribution to the bottom line? Do you, with all the, the coverage in the business press, Business Week had a cover, Fortune had a cover, I think Forbes had a cover. What's your opinion of that uh, attention right now that the business community is giving design? Um, I would wonder and would like to go ask a historian or someone to look in to say, is there really more? Is it really of a different tenor than before? And I would like to ask somebody who is outside of design because I think there's always this presentism that um, you really don't understand. You know, I, it's, it's hard for people to 
really investigate the past and think that it was different at, at then. It, it's kind of like, um, you know, I talk about this with my wife, who's a historian, and, you know, she's, she's read things going back you know, uh, centuries. And she says, you know, at every time in history, people felt that technology was out of control, they couldn't keep up, their life was getting too busy. It's always, you know, been that, been that way. But we're here now, and we look at these certain things, and we say, so I'd say, well, that might be the case, but um, I'd, I'd, I'd like to see some evidence. Well, I mean, for me, the evidence is actually seeing the manifestation of this in, in print, so to speak, um, in, in the mass media, to have design on the front cover of mass, mass uh, distributed business uh, magazines to me seems evident of some sort of paradigm shift. I'm just curious as to the accuracy or the depth of what they're talking about. I asked Milton Glaser last year what he thought about it, and he actually felt that that it was somewhat superficial. And I tend to agree. I, you know, I, I have this um, sort of soapbox that I get on when <laughs> talking about the business community and design and its sudden embrace of products like the iPod, and for me, I, I can't help but question whether the business community would be so fawning over Apple right now if the iPod hadn't sold 18 million units in the last 18 months. You know, nobody nobody talked about great design when the Newton came out, when in fact it was probably a better design product than the Palm Pilot, which came out just, you know, several years later and, and took the world by storm. So I wonder if it's really design aesthetics that we're talking about or the ability for design to increase the bottom line and then for suddenly, you know, to be the, the, the new it, the new it contribution, so to speak. I do believe there's a certain um, inevitability of a lot of things that the design field would like. I think it's inevitable that certain things are going to happen. That uh, I have no proof of this, and I, I, I wouldn't say this because I'm not that, you know, historian and, and really don't pay close attention to be able to say, well, here's the indi- indication of it. But thinking about what I do know about history and my own bizarre take on it, um, I think it's inevitable that, yes, design is going to reach this this kind of status that, um, you know, there will be a discussion of, dis- of design like, you know, architect- architecture achieved and um, partially just because there are going to be more people and people's you know, investigation of culture is going to be going all over, and they're going to say, well, here's an area that no one's investigated. And um, it's, it's, there's going to be this dynamic where as more people get interested in it, uh, that will attract more attention, and the more attention will we'll get more people interested in it, and it will sort of feed on itself. Well, interesting, because one of the quotes that I, I underlined in, in one of the pieces that you wrote in Emma Gray was, that designers are widely seen as possessing an elitist aesthetic agenda insensitive to people's needs. And I'd really like to come back after our break and talk to you about that. And I know that we already have some callers on the line. So um, we'll take a little break right now. I'd like to let everybody know that they're listening to Design Matters with Debbie Melman on Voice America Business. I'm your host, Debbie Melman, and my guest today is the designer, design critic, curator, and editor, Kenneth Fitzgerald. We'll be right back with our broadcast after these messages, so please don't go away. It should be a feisty afternoon.
fresh, dynamic, and totally prepared for continuing business education. Business Talk Radio, Voice America Business at voiceamerica.com. Hello, I'm Sharon Ryder Lindberg from Unilever North America. I'll be speaking at Fuse Brand Identity and Package Design Event in April at the Waldorf Astoria in New York City. I'll be discussing the development and the rollout of the new Hellman's Global Brand Identity. Fuse is the destination for brand design leaders. Will you be there? Visit www.iirusa.com backslash BIPD or call 888-670-8200 to find out more about this great event. Consider this an investment in your brand's future. Clear your calendar and prepare to walk away with inspiration, insight, and creative new ideas to implement when you return to the office. Stay at the top of your game. Visit www.iirusa.com backslash BIPD today. Mention Design Men. You'll receive a $200 discount off the standard fee. Look forward to seeing you in New York in April. Mind Your Business with Danielle Hampson talks about the nuts and bolts of starting, running, and expanding a business. From time management, leadership, sales, marketing, and customer service to office management using technology, business plans, accounting, taxes, and networking. Danielle and her expert guests share their years of experience on a variety of topics. Tune in every Friday at 11 a.m. Pacific, 2 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Business Channel for Mind Your Business with Danielle Hampson. Useful tips, authoritative advice, creative solutions. Right here on the bottom line in business talk, Voice America Business. You work hard and you need to take time to relax and rejuvenate yourself. Travel is one of the most effective and gratifying ways to achieve this. Tune into Travel Connections with Judy every Monday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time. Your host, Judy Jackson, will teach you how you can enhance your lifestyle through travel. Travel Connections will also bring you the latest news on what's hot and exciting in vacation and travel trends. So tune in to Travel Connections with Judy every Monday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time right here on Voice America Business. Are you feeling slammed and suckered in today's stock market? If so, then you need to tune in to Profitable Investing with Jordan Kimmel. Every Thursday at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, Jordan Kimmel will train you in what you can do to beat up the big boys on Wall Street, as well as share his secrets to success so that you can buy and sell like a profit-pumping pro. Grab the bull market by the horns and listen to Profitable Investing with Jordan Kimmel. Every Thursday at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, right here on the Bottom Line in Business Talk, Voice America Business. Keeping you a step ahead of the changing world of business. This is Voice America Business. We're back with Design Matters with Debbie Millman. If you have a question for Debbie, feel free to call us at 866-472-5790. Once again, here's the host of Design Matters, Debbie Millman. You are listening to Design Matters with Debbie Millman, the only talk radio show on the air focusing on issues relating to graphic design, branding, and culture. I am Debbie Millman, your host, and my guest today is designer, design critic, curator, and editor Kenneth Fitzgerald. If you want to join our conversation or have a question for Kenneth, please call 1-866-472-5790, and we do have a caller on the line for Kenneth. Gregory, welcome to Design Matters. Hi, Debbie. Hi, Kenneth. Good afternoon. Um, I, this is something I carp about a lot, and, and since you're a curator and um, a design critic and you're a professor of art, I'm curious to know what you what you think about it. Um, somebody a long time ago sent me this um, 
painting. Um, uh, they sent it up through my email. They didn't give me the painting. And in the painting, it shows Jesus in a boat um, taking dead icons to heaven. Um, there's Speedy and the Michelin Man and Elsie and Ready Kilowatt and uh, Nipper, the RCA dog, and Bob's Big Boy. And um, you were saying earlier about, um, you know, design right now not particularly being good. And I'm wondering if you think that one of the problems uh, when especially young designers go to design, that they don't sort of explore the history of people's products, especially old products, to see how those products were interpreted and advertised graphically. Um, it couldn't hurt. You know, uh, my feeling is, you know, with um, design students, and I say this to my design students, um, how many people got into design because they, you know, they uh, were pissed off that their the instruction manual with their Xbox was hard to read? You know, <laughs> you know none, zero. Maybe you get into it because they want to, you know, if they go that far that they've seen design and they say, wow, that looks really great, I want to make, you know, stuff like that. And uh, that's that's why I got into art and, and design and those sort of things. So I'm just as, as guilty. And um, so... Yeah, that's that's not uh, the motivation, and um, it couldn't hurt. I mean, do you ever encourage your students and say, you know, perhaps the next time you should really explore the history of a product and and see how it, how it was interpreted or you know, it evolved? Yes, and because I just I find history fascinating to find out why people did things, why something looks the way it does, and to think that it. Something looks the way it does solely because, well, somebody sat down and, you know, made this and said, wow, that looks great. You know, there's this you know, whole dynamic going on. There is all this interplay of, of forces and, and uh, really that are really interesting, you know, fascinating for me. And I think for somebody who wants to take part in that and to make them, um, you, you just get a better appreciation to really understand why that thing looks the way it does. You have to you have to know that history, or else you're well. You're just looking at the form. Well, because the RCA um, Victor dog Nipper is a perfect example. It took the artist a long time to sell it. He tried to sell it to Edison, and they wouldn't take it. And it's not until he changed the um, the horn of the uh, phonograph from black to gold, and RCA bought it. And um, are your students? receptive to it when, when you suggest it, or do they just sort of roll their eyes and think, oh, God, dry history again? Well, they roll their eyes and <laughs> say, and I can't blame them. Um, oh, I think we can. Yeah, I we think can. we can. I'm so tired of, of being in, in front of a classroom and asking students, you know, if they what do they think about this that Keyboard Hellman did or this that Paul Rand did or this that David Carson did, and they don't know these names, and it's just... Baffling to me that third and this archival program of Design Matters with Debbie Millman was produced for Voice America Internet Radio. New programs with better audio quality are now being produced for Design Observer. You can subscribe in the iTunes Store or at the Observer Media Channel on Design Observer. Welcome to Design Matters with Debbie Millman, the show that takes you inside the provocative and stimulating world of design and branding as it intersects with contemporary culture. Here's your host of Design Matters, Debbie Millman. For the last couple of days, I have been in Las Vegas. I was there on business 
My partner Marcus and I were pitching the redesign of the logo of one of the casinos there. After our meeting, we went trolling up and down the strip and ended up on the second floor of the Venetian Hotel. I had never been there before, and we arrived at about 10 p.m., and as we walked off the escalator, the first thing that struck us was the light. Though it was a vast, windowless space, the lighting was created to mimic the real-life daylight of a late afternoon in Italy. It was so realistic that we suddenly felt what it must be like to be in Alaska during spring fever. It was disconcerting and pleasurable at the same time. What was even odder was the bizarre but real water canals running throughout. You see, the second floor of the Venetian was created as an exact replica of the Rialto Bridge, complete with gondoliers steered by sexy sailors singing Italian opera. The only thing that threw the experience off was the Ann Taylor and Banana Republic stores situated on the faux cobblestone streets. Though I have never been to Venice, I can't imagine that these chain stores have a major presence on the streets there. At least I pray with all my heart that they don't. Marcus and I watched people shop for garish jewels and neon-colored short-sleeve button-down shirts, and we witnessed them gamble away what mostly seemed like hard-earned money that had been saved for a very long time. We watched as people fingered their crumpled bills tightly right up until the moment they put it down on the tables for the dealers to take away. I confess that I find gambling fascinating. And while I do it from time to time, I must admit that I likely have the worst luck at gambling than anyone else that I know. That doesn't stop me from doing it. It just keeps me from doing it a lot. There's only so much money a girl can lose and still hold on to a semblance of dignity. While I'm in the midst of gambling, something rather strange happens. I find that with every spin of the roulette wheel, with every pull of the one-armed bandit, with every card that is turned over, in those seconds before the ball drops, in those seconds before the numbers or the symbols or the cards are revealed, time slows down. It almost stops. And in those suspended milliseconds, there is a kind of hope and a certain sort of optimism that emerges. There is the hope that you will win big, hit the jackpot, and your heart pounds, and your mind races, and you wonder if the next moment will be it, when you will finally, for once and for all, show the world that you are indeed a winner after all. No wonder it's addictive. We live in a culture wherein money is the chief measurement of success. Money, as a cultural object, contains a potent mix of acquisitiveness and insecurity. No matter what a person's financial standing, many folk do not feel they have enough, and most feel that they have nowhere near enough. According to Psychology Today, what is fascinating and unusual about these people, when compared with how they spend their money elsewhere, it is their complete abandon to the act of throwing away their money Money that in Las Vegas brings in little return except the act of throwing it away. And for most of them, it is not a wild or pleasurable abandon. If anything, it seems a determined and often a cranky abandon. 
but it is abandoned. They know what they're doing, and they do it with almost frenetic, although also somehow glum energy. And they have come a long way and planned a long time to do it. Then they take breaks to eat, but many queuing up on lines for half an hour or longer to save money at a $5 buffet. This behavior is difficult to understand since before and after they've eaten, they're willing to lose those same $5 in minutes or even seconds at the games. Money plays a dangerous and very intriguing role in our culture and in our lives and in most, if not all, of our relationships. We dream and hope for freedom on so many levels, and money is often the path we think we need to get there. And though many of our wars are fought under the guise of religion, money and power often figure prominently in these struggles as well. Money also plays a significant role in design. If we aren't designing something that we are getting paid for, it is often disregarded as fine art or a vanity or passion project. It is, it is often in these unpaid excursions that designers do some of their best and most compelling work. One of the best examples of this is Stefan Sagmeister's Krembrook poster. I think that a true conundrum exists when we assess design and money. Only a certain level of success seems respectfully permissible. Once you reach the financial prowess of an interbrand or a future brand, suddenly you are either perilously close to, if not outright considered, a sellout. And yet so many of us still have practices that condone taking on speculative work, and to me, this is the most outrageous and illogical gamble of all. The value of design in our culture is changing at light speed. We often bemoan our lack of control in this. But any good marketer knows that if you don't create a focused, compelling position for your product or your brand, others, whether it be friends, foes, competitors, or customers, will be more than happy to do it for you. It is time now to make a strong statement. Let's not leave it to the business magazines or the business schools or the marketing community or the media. Some may say it is a gamble, but I prefer to think of it as a calculated risk a risk in order to gain some advantage. It is time we stop bemoaning the state of graphic design, the state of our clients and colleagues, and band together to show the world what design can and does accomplish. It is a gamble only we can make and one I believe it is well worth taking. I believe that our lives and our livelihood depend on it. Welcome to Design Matters with Debbie Millman. My guest today is the feisty Kenneth Fitzgerald. Before we get started with our interview, please let me tell you a little bit more about him. Kenneth Fitzgerald is a designer, a design critic, a curator, and an editor. He is an associate professor of art at Old Dominion University in Norfolk, Virginia. He has also taught at the University of Minnesota and the Montserrat College of Art. He is also a prolific writer and has contributed to such publications as Emigre, I, Idea, and AIGA Voice. For seven years, he wrote, designed, edited, and published the independently distributed magazine, The News of the World, and he has curated and organized art and design shows all over the country. Welcome, Kenneth. Thank you. Thank you very much for having me. Oh, thank you for being here. So I'm going to start out hot and heavy this Friday afternoon, Kenneth. 
In Emigre number 66, you wrote this. I'm quoting you. To consider how to teach or theorize about graphic design, a basic question must be answered. What is its ultimate goal? So, Kenneth, what do you think is the ultimate goal of graphic design? Well, when I wrote that, I was really thinking the, the, the point of that was for everyone to ask themselves, what was the point of their doing this activity? Mm-hmm. You know, I have a, a hard time thinking about you know, graphic design as this you know, entity, this, this thing out there that has independent life and, um, you know, this, this abstraction. But I, you know, am very interested in what people do and what choices people make. And so um, maybe this is avoiding the question. But, uh, <laughs> I still want to know what you think the ultimate goal is. Well, I think the ultimate goal is, well, what I was saying there is um, I think a lot of design is just to keep design going, that a lot of design is for good reasons uh, about graphic design. It's, it's graphic design that uses graphic design language and you recognize what it is. And in a lot of cases, that's, you know, that's appropriate. That's, that's, that's what's needed. In other cases, well, no, it's, it's not. It, it's the um, resort to sort of formula. And so those things get together with the sort of self perpetuation that, um, you know, there is a point that a lot of people will stop at about, well, will I do this? You know, am I going to uh, make this kind of choice in, in what I do? Because they're afraid that, well, it won't be seen as graphic design. I won't be, you know, recognized either by my peers as doing um, acceptable work or the... Um, you know, look like an amateur or the, the client will, will turn it down. And now, what do you mean by resorting to formula work? What do you consider to be formula work? Um, well, I, I sort of feel I, I know it when I see it. I think there is... Kind of like pornography. Um, <laughs> yeah. I'm feisty today, Kenneth. <laughs> that's, that's okay. Um, it's... It's, it's work where the graphic design languages that are established about um, are, are really utilized. You can really recognize. So cliche. Work. It's, it's sort of cliche, and it's, and it's um, I would say, to the side of graphic design work, which I think is the, um, you know, I think there's a realm for work that is um, an expression of the honest craftsperson, you know, where somebody says, look, I don't have to redesign the wheel, but... There are still some more functionally work. driven design, um, bank statements, or um, perhaps, but e- even more so. It's sort of like um, I, know, I think in terms of furniture that um, you know I don't want my table you know rethought necessarily, but I would like people to be you know whoever's making it to take care that uh, how the joints go together, or my dresser that they've got dovetailed joints, things like that. And, it's, you know, that's, and you can look at the work and say, well, this isn't exploring the, you know, the bureau-ness of this thing and, and rethinking the whole idea of how clothes are stored. But I don't want that. I want this nice bureau that's made out of this nice wood and, the, and the, it's going to hold up for a while, for quite a, a long time. Mm-hmm. And I think there's design 
you know, a, a lot of design like that where you can say, well, it's not, you know, conceptually cutting edge, but so, you know, so what? It's, it's the work of honest craftspeople who are not just trading in cliches, but who are um, reinvigorating, who's, who's exploring tradition and, and adding to it. Well, I'm obviously going to want to come back after our break to talk about that. Um, we have to take our first break, unfortunately. Um, I'd like to let everybody know that they're listening to Design Matters with Debbie Melman on Voice America Business. I am your host, Debbie Melman, and my guest today is designer, design critic, curator, and editor, Kenneth Fitzgerald. We will be right back with our broadcast after these messages, so please don't go away. Listen wherever you are. 24-hour business and financial news. Solid, focused, and informed. The leader in business talk. Voice America Business at voiceamerica.com. Hi, I'm Daryl and Reith of Campbell Soup Company, and I'm excited to invite you to the Fuse Brand Identity and Package Design event this April in New York City. Join me in discussing the power of research and design as they come together in a strategic huddle to drive the Campbell's Chunky brand into the end zone. Plus, hear from design gurus Rem Kulhas and Philip Stark, as well as brand leaders from Method, Nike, and Target, who will discuss how synergistic strategy and design drive brand innovation, consumer loyalty, and profitability. For more information, call 888-670-8200. Visit www.iirusa.com forward slash BIPD or email register at iirusa.com. Mention that you heard about the event from Design Matters and receive a $200 discount off the standard fee. Rise to the challenge. See you in New York City on April 24th through the 26th at the Waldorf Astoria. Tune into Small Business Trends Radio with Anita Campbell every Tuesday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, 1 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Business Channel. Each week, Anita and expert guests provide a big picture view of the small business market, identifying the trends and major events driving the robust growth of the small business market. Whether you are a small business owner or a company of any size desiring to sell small businesses or reach the small business market with a product or service, Small Business Trends Radio is your resource for trends that influence the global small business market. Right here on the Bottom line for business talk, Voice America Business. Achieve total wealth management. Listen to Three Dimensional Wealth with Roy Diefendorf every Monday at 2 p.m. Pacific, 5 Eastern on Business America Radio. Three Dimensional Wealth is a show dedicated to teaching you a values based approach to comprehensive total wealth management through practical strategies and expert advice. Take your first step down the road of financial independence. Listen to Three Dimensional Wealth with Roy Diefendorf Mondays at 2 p.m. Pacific. 5 Eastern, here on the bottom line in business talk, businessamericaradio.com. The bottom line in business talk, Voice America Business. We're back with Design Matters with Debbie Millman. If you have a question for Debbie, feel free to call us at 866-472-5790. Once again, here's the host of Design Matters, Debbie Millman. Welcome back. It is 3.18 Eastern Time, and you are listening to Design Matters with Debbie Millman. I'm your host, Debbie Millman, and my guest today is designer, design critic, curator, and editor, Kenneth Fitzgerald. If you'd like to join our conversation or if you have a question for Kenneth, our phone lines are open. Please call 
800-227-5790. So, Kenneth, before the break, we were talking a little bit about formulaic versus non-formulaic design, and I'd like to ask you, um, how would you describe the current state of graphic design? Um, eh. Okay, I guess. Mediocre, lukewarm? Yeah, and um, I don't know if that's necessarily bad, but um, I certainly don't pay as much attention or look forward to uh, hearing about things as much as I used to, and that that could be me. Now, so you say that it's sort of, you know, eh, mediocre, lukewarm. Um, why do you think that's happening right now? Um, I have a feeling it's just history is cyclic, where uh, cyclical, I suppose. Uh, where there are times of lots of intellectual formal ferment and um, then things get um, established. There's this cycle of dynamism and then stasis or static to to sort of lock those developments in, in place and really chew them over. And then eventually um, so that dynamic starts to... Uh, um, insinuate itself and, and announce itself again. And we're just sort of, um, I think it's just, just that. When do you think the last most robust time of graphic design was? The most interesting? Um, I know per, well, I would say it was um, the early to the sort of like the mid-90s, all, all that era, where I got interested in it, where I, you know, before I just, the illegibi- illegibility wars. Uh, yeah, if you have to have to call it call it that. The so illegibility era. <laughs> yeah. So who do you think was doing good work then? Um, I I just thought there was just all kinds of interesting stuff you know going on. I mean, it was for me. It was um, I really enjoyed seeing the things, but mainly it was wow. People are talking about design in the way. Um, in, in, in an interesting way, as a way I think somebody should talk about this. You know, as much as I thought about design before then, it was the feeling of, these people don't know what they've got here. You, you know, Why isn't anybody talking about design in these ways, linking it to a wider culture, um, and um, you know, asking these sort of you know, simple questions? And, um, so for me, I really think about it in terms of um, the people who are, who are writing things. Was reading. reading. I read Emigrant. <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah. Well, I want to talk to you about that in, in a little bit. You've written. You've written quite frequently about how designers bemoan the way that they're treated in the business community and by folks in other creative endeavors. And you've also written that you believe that a broader and deeper appreciation of design can and should only lead to its demise as a specialist profession. And I really want to know why you feel that way. Um, well, sort of like with the first question, I, I, I'm all the time really asking, you know, what am I, what am I teaching, or, or what is this thing all about? And I, and I asked that, you know, when I was undergraduate in art school. You know, what is the, the point of, um, of doing this? And um, the point of, of doing design work, or the, the point of teaching? The point of, you know, what is it? You know, what does it mean to me? Mean to me? Well, about writing that, have, if the public were to have a deeper and broader appreciation of design, that it can and should only lead to its demise as a specialist profession. 
excuse me. I think I think about that in terms of um, you know what is the purpose of art. And I, I think of it in those terms or design. If everybody really appreciates something, you know, take me as an example. That um, the more I got into design, well, the more I said, well, I want to do some of that. Mm-hmm. And it was certainly the impulse with art, and particularly with art, the feeling is, oh, you've got to have art. You know, if if, if our, everybody was an artist, it would be a great culture. Okay, let's make everybody an artist. What does that do for for art? And the same thing for for design, whether you, you know, like it or not. If if you have a really um, you know a really knowledgeable client, somebody who really gets it, who really understands it. Doesn't you know? Doesn't it then follow that? Hey, you know, I want to do that too. Why should they have all the fun? Well, I don't know that that's. Nece- I mean, I don't know that I necessarily agree with you. I think that if you have a really knowledgeable client, that if they're really knowledgeable, they know that you're the specialist, and that while they might have an appreciation or um, a certain understanding, not being trained as a designer, they would probably trust the fact that you are a trained practitioner more and allow you to do work that might be more breakthrough, more provocative, more honest, because they don't have those same constraints, not fully understanding what design is capable of. I agree, and I would admit I overstated the case. And because I really wanted to think about it, and I think there, there is a spectrum. And I, I agree with that as, you know, I, I can design things, and it, they're, they're okay, but for me, is um, I'd much rather see Rudy Van Twain's design my work. It's it's like getting a you know having Chuck Close do your portrait, mm-hmm. you know. And so, uh, you know, um, I I could design um, you know my writing, I suppose. But it's it's much more interesting to go to somebody who's much more invested in in me and also who is not me, mm-hmm. because I I like to think I really get design. You know, I'm I'm willing to turn this over and say, here, here's, here's my writing. Go and do something with it. Don't bother me with details. Well, what do you think of the current design renaissance that we're, the so-called design renaissance that we're living in now where the business community is recognizing design's contribution to the bottom line do you, with all the, the coverage in the business press? Business Week had a cover. Fortune had a cover. I think Forbes had a cover. What's your opinion of that uh, attention right now that the business community is giving design? Um, I would wonder and would like to go ask a historian or someone to look in to say, is there really more? Is it really of a different tenor than before? And I would like to ask somebody who is outside of design because I think there's always this presentism that um, you really don't understand, you know, I... It's hard for people to really investigate the past and think that it was different at, at then. It's kind of like, um, you know, I talk about this with my wife, who's a historian, and, you know, she's, she's read things going back, you know, um, centuries. And she says, you know, at every time in history, people felt that technology was out of control, they couldn't keep up, their life was getting too busy. It's always, you know, been that, been that way. But, we're here now, and we look at these certain things, and we say, so I'd say, well, that might be the case, but um, I'd, I'd, I'd like to see some evidence. Well, I mean, for me, the evidence is actually seeing the 
manifestation of this in in print, so to speak, um, in in the mass media to have design on the front cover of mass mass uh, distributed business uh, magazines. To me, seems evident of some sort of paradigm shift. I'm just curious as to the accuracy or the depth of what they were talking about. I asked Milton Glaser last year what he thought about it, and he actually felt that, that it was somewhat superficial, and I tend to agree. I, You know, I, I have this um, sort of soapbox that I get on when talking about the business community and design and its sudden embrace of products like the iPod, and for me, I, I can't help but question whether the business community would be so fawning over Apple right now if the iPod hadn't sold 18 million units in the last 18 months. You know, nobody nobody talked about great design when the Newton came out, when in fact it was probably a better design product than the Palm Pilot, which came out just, you know, several years later and, and took the world by storm. So I wonder if it's really design aesthetics that we're talking about or the ability for design to increase the bottom line and for it suddenly, you know, to be the, the, the new it, the new it contribution, so to speak. I do believe there's a certain... Um, inevitability of a lot of things that the design field would like. I think it's inevitable that certain things are going to happen. That uh, I have no proof of this, and I, I, I wouldn't say this because I'm not that you know historian and, and really don't pay close attention to be able to say, well, here is the indi- indication of it. But thinking about what I do know about history and my own bizarre take on it, um, I think it's inevitable that yes, design is going to reach this this kind of Status that um, you know there will be uh, discussion of, dis- of design like you know architect- architecture achieved and um, partially just because there are going to be more people and people's you know investigation of culture is going to be going all over and they're going to say well here's an area that no one's investigated and um, it's, it's, there's going to be this dynamic where as more people get interested in it. Uh, that'll attract more attention, and the more attention will will get more people interested in it, and it will sort of feed on itself. Well, interesting because one of the quotes that I, I underlined in, in one of the pieces that you wrote, Nemo Gray, was that designers are widely seen as possessing an elitist aesthetic agenda, insensitive to people's needs. And I really like to come back after our break and talk to you about that. And I know that we already have some callers on the line, so. Um, we'll take a little break right now. I'd like to let everybody know that they're listening to Design Matters with Debbie Melman on Voice America Business. I'm your host, Debbie Melman, and my guest today is the designer, design critic, curator, and editor, Kenneth Fitzgerald. We'll be right back with our broadcast after these messages, so please don't go away. It should be a feisty afternoon. Fresh, dynamic, and totally prepared for continuing business education. Business Talk Radio. Voice America Business at voiceamerica.com. Hello, I'm Sharon ryder Lindbergh from Unilever North America. I'll be speaking at Fuse Brand Identity and Package Design Event in April at the Waldorf Astoria in New York City. I'll be discussing the development and the rollout of the new Hellman's Global Brand Identity. Fuse is the destination for brand design leaders. Will you be there? Visit www.iirusa.com backslash BIPD or call 888-670-8200 to find out more about this great event. 
Consider this an investment in your brand's future. Clear your calendar and prepare to walk away with inspiration, insight, and creative new ideas to implement when you return to the office. Stay at the top of your game. Visit www.iirusa.com backslash BIP today. Mention Design Men. You'll receive a $200 discount off the standard fee. Look forward to seeing you in New York in April. Mind Your Business with Danielle Hampson talks about the nuts and bolts of starting, running, and expanding a business. From time management, leadership, sales, marketing, and customer service to office management, using technology, business plans, accounting, taxes, and networking. Danielle and her expert guests share their years of experience on a variety of topics. Tune in every Friday, 11 a.m. Pacific, 2 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Business Channel for Mind Your Business with Danielle Hampson. Useful tips, authoritative advice, creative solutions. Right here on the bottom line in business talk, Voice America Business. You work hard and you need to take time to relax and rejuvenate yourself. Travel is one of the most effective and gratifying ways to achieve this. Tune into Travel Connections with Judy every Monday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time. Your host, Judy Jackson, will teach you how you can enhance your lifestyle through travel. Travel Connections will also bring you the latest news on what's hot and exciting in vacation and travel trends. So tune in to Travel Connections with Judy every Monday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time right here on Voice America Business. Are you feeling slammed and suckered in today's stock market? If so, then you need to tune in to Profitable Investing with Jordan Kimmel. Every Thursday at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, Jordan Kimmel will train you in what you can do to beat up the big boys on Wall Street, as well as share his secrets to success so that you can buy and sell like a profit-pumping pro. Grab the bull market by the horns and listen to Profitable Investing with Jordan Kimmel. Every Thursday at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, right here on the bottom line in business talk, Voice America Business. Keeping you a step ahead of the changing world of business. This is Voice America Business. We're back with Design Matters with Debbie Millman. If you have a question for Debbie, feel free to call us at 866-472-5790. Once again, here's the host of Design Matters, Debbie Millman. You are listening to Design Matters with Debbie Millman, the only talk radio show on the air focusing on issues relating to graphic design, branding, and culture. I am Debbie Millman, your host, and my guest today is designer, design critic, curator, and editor Kenneth Fitzgerald. If you want to join our conversation or have a question for Kenneth, please call 1-866-472-5790, and we do have a caller on the line for Kenneth. Gregory, welcome to Design Matters. Hi, Debbie. Hi, Kenneth. Good afternoon. Um, I, this is something I carp about a lot, and, and since you're a curator and um, a design critic and you're a professor of art, I'm curious to know what you what you think about it. Um, somebody a long time ago sent me this um, painting. Um, uh, they sent it through my email. They didn't give me the painting. And in the painting, it shows Jesus in a boat um, taking dead icons to heaven. Um, there's Speedy and the Michelin Man and Elsie and Ready Kilowatt and uh, Nipper, the RCA dog, and Bob's Big Boy. And um, you were saying earlier about, um, you know, design right now not particularly being good. And I'm wondering if you think that one of the problems uh, when especially young designers go to design, that they don't sort of explore the history of people's products, especially old products, to see how those products were interpreted and advertised graphically. Um, it couldn't hurt, you know, uh, 
my feeling is, you know, with um, design students, and I say this to my design students, um, how many people got into design because they, you know, they uh, were pissed off that their the instruction manual with their Xbox was hard to read? You know, <laughs> you know none, zero. Maybe you get into it because they want to, you know, if they go that far that they've seen design and they say, wow, that looks really great, I want to make, you know, stuff like that, and uh, that's... That's why I got into art and, and design and those sort of things. So I'm just as as guilty. And um, so, yeah, that's that's not uh, the motivation. And um, it couldn't hurt. I mean, do you ever encourage your students and say, you know, perhaps the next time you should really explore the history of a product and and see how it, how it was interpreted or you know, it evolved. Yes, and because I just I find history fascinating to find out why people did things, why something looks the way it does, and to think that it something looks the way it does solely because well somebody sat down and you know made this and said wow that looks great, you know there is this you know, whole dynamic going on there is all this interplay of, of forces and and uh, really that are really interesting you know fascinating for me and. I think for somebody who wants to take part in that and to make them, um, you, you just get a better appreciation. To really understand why that thing looks the way it does, you have to. You have to know that history or else you're, well, you're just looking at the form. Well, because the RCA um, Victor dog, Nipper, is a perfect example. It took the artist a long time to sell it. He tried to sell it to Edison, and they wouldn't take it. And it's not until he changed the... Um, the horn of the uh, phonograph from black to gold, and RCA bought it. And um, are your students receptive to it when, when you suggest it, or do they just sort of roll their eyes and think, oh, God, dry history again? Well, they roll their eyes, <laughs> I say, and I can't blame them. Um, oh, I think we can. Yeah, I we think can. we can. I'm so tired of, of being in, in front of a classroom and asking students, you know, if they, what do they think about this that Keyboard Hellman did or this that Paul Rand did or this that David Carson did, and they don't know these names, and it's just baffling to me that third- and fourth-year design students don't know who comes before them. Well, well at that know. point, definitely. I mean, I, you know, I think of myself when I um, started college and I started art school, and that was my education to find out these sort of things. And by the time I graduated, I was ceramics major. I, you know, I know who Peter Volkos was. I, you know, I, I knew who these these people were and the kind of work they did and did my horrific uh, impersonations of their work. And um, it is it is bizarre that. Um, in design, I think it's again inevitable that we'll get to a different point. But again, it's it's not um, it's not about what how, what the thing does; it's about how it looks. And so, well, the history. Well, well thank you trying. for calling, Gregory. Thank you very much. Thank you. Have a nice afternoon. You too. Um, so, Kenneth, I want to get back to uh, one of the questions that I asked you before the break. Uh, and this is a quote of yours. Uh, you've said that designers are widely seen as possessing an elitist aesthetic agenda insensitive to people's needs. Um, why did you say that? Do you still believe that? And how did you come to that opinion? Um, talking to designers, reading what they say, and my limited experience in design and making um, you know, suggestions to people. It's, I mean, that's what 
seems to be happening a great deal. The, the thought is that, I said, the designer is 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 um, has an aesthetic agenda, and I think a lot of people do. They'd rather designers would rather have something look a certain way than listen to what somebody's saying to them. And um, I think there's fault on on both sides to be attributed. But as I said. Most designers are in design not because of the Xbox situation. They're in it because they have aesthetic interests. Mm-hmm. Well, you, why do you feel that there is this disconnect between advocating the free flow of information, so to speak, but allowing only a click of specialists to direct it? Hmm. No answer. <laughs> um, I got to mull that. Okay. That one. Well, it's something that something that you wrote about this 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 big disconnect between again, and this is a quote, advocating the free flow of information, but allowing only a click of specialists to direct it, which I think falls under your elitist aesthetic agenda, or accusing designers of an elitist aesthetic agenda. Well, it, it gets to um, when I when I write that, I think about the fact that I've scorn for amateur design of of really valuing something that looks a certain way rather than saying, well, this thing, it might not be magnificent design in the design language, but it's it's doing what it's it's supposed to. And um, that's sort of the, you know, um, let people work something out for themselves <laughs> on, a, on, a, on occasion and, um, well, Locate, you know, figure out where you're really locating your ego about whether it has to look a certain way or is this really a, a, a collaborative situation. I want to talk to you a little bit about some people in the design business that would be considered um, design heroes by some um, and perhaps uh, something else by others. I want to talk to you about Rem Coolhouse. Um, you have said that Rem Koolhaas's engagement in the field of design might be considered another triumph for the field or a sign of the coming apocalypse. Which one do you believe and why? Um, the coming apocalypse. <laughs> a very prominent designer once told me that he thought that uh, Paris Hilton should be assassinated. I kind of put that in the same category, Rem Koolhaas and the coming apocalypse. Well, the coming apocalypse is that, well, here it is, you, you know, one of design's most valued clients, you know, the architect who, you know, who lets people do, you know, 800-pound, you know, 10-ton books about their work, and now they're starting to, you know, the ones who get it, now they want to do it themselves. So mm-hmm. here's design apocalypse. Oh, I see what you're saying. Okay, so it's not about him and him specifically, but him as an architect going into the design business. Um, yeah, yeah. Okay. So now let's move on to Dave Edgars. Um, you've said that honoring Dave Eggers seems less a pronunciation of design significance than an expression of self-loathing. I, I, just such a wonderful record, <laughs> so biting and acerbic. So tell me why you're how, how you're feeling these days about Dave Eggers. Um, you know, pretty much, pretty much the same. So self-loathing. Why self-loathing? I mean, I mean, I think that. I mean, I know that you were appalled that McSweeney's was included in the first design triennial. Uh, for the Cooper, that the Cooper Hewitt had. Yeah, um, sort of like just trend, trendy. Trendy. I know that you have yeah. a big issue with the whole buzz, the buzz factor. Yeah. Um, 
You say that buzz is often an end in itself. The perception of substance becomes reality. If everybody's talking about something, it must be worth talking about. Buzz is a self-perpetuating wavefront, constantly circulating in culture's fishbowl. Design is an exercise in generating buzz. Really? Do you really think that? I mean, every day, do you really go around thinking that? Um, to a great extent, particularly when I just read these what seem to be wildly inflated descriptions of the importance of certain designers' work, which is like, well, this is wonderful work, but please, you know, I, um, shall I pick on something? <laughs> well, who do you think is doing good work these um, days? Is there anybody that you feel is doing some really special and, and noticeably important work? Well, first I would want to say that I think there are you know, tens of thousands of designers doing good work out there who are, like I said, in that realm of honest craftspeople, who, who seriously think about their work, who try very hard. You know, my limited design experience, um, you know, in the corporate art department right after I got out of grad school was, you know, nothing groundbreaking was done in that art department, and I didn't, I didn't do any. And but all these people cared about their work. They worked very hard. They were very sincere. They they had you know values, and the work they produced did what it was supposed to do. And I was you know proud to you know to stand up in that environment and be able to produce also. You know then there is the realm certainly of people who are um, and when what you're asking about um, people who are doing things that are all right. What is what is graphic design about? Um, let is, let's um, explore the ideas of um, how uh, form content these, these things do. And um, um, I see lots of you know, I see interesting things. Nothing that you know I, I, it would it become um, I don't know, sort of just favorites. Well, we, we're about to go to break. Is there one designer that you can point to and say, you know, that, that designer's work is really something that is, you know, changing the way design is being done today? Mm, in those terms, no. No? Okay. Well, we'll come back after our break and talk a little bit more about design and, and culture and what you consider to be design and a death wish. Uh, I'd like to let everybody know that they're listening to Design Matters with Debbie Millman on Voice America Business. I am your host, and my guest today is designer, design critic, curator, and editor, Kenneth Fitzgerald. We will be right back after these messages. Fresh, dynamic, and totally prepared for continuing business education. Business Talk Radio. Voice America Business at voiceamerica.com. Hi, this is Alexander Isley. I'm a designer, and I'd like to welcome you to the upcoming Fuse Brand Identity and Package Design event this April at the Waldorf Astoria. Your host, the wonderful Debbie Millman, will be there too. This year's event is shaping up to have the biggest turnout in its history. Don't miss out on this event, which integrates marketing, design, research, and production issues. You'll learn from more than 60 design and marketing leaders about past success and pitfalls to avoid. Join Coca-Cola, GE Healthcare, Black & Decker, Target, Pentagram, The Home Depot, Frito-Lay, Johnson & Johnson. Go in-depth on the topics most important to you. Enjoy candid conversations, catch up with old friends, and meet new colleagues. Take advantage of the opportunities available, including sessions on how to capture the global market through discussions on globalization and what it means for your brand. For more information, call 
800-800-8200, visit www.iirusa.com slash BIPD, or email register at iirusa.com. Mention Design Matters and you'll receive a $200 discount off the standard fee. Looking forward to seeing you April 24th in New York City. The challenge of change comes as ramped up due to the advent of information age and the interconnectedness of global community. In a high-tech world, the ability to embrace change, adapt, and respond accordingly is key to personal and professional success. Talking Change with Ann Powers, airing every Wednesday at 3 p.m. Pacific, explores the hows, whys, and what to do when faced with change. Embrace the new reality, adopt transition into your personal power portfolio, and tune into Talking Change with Ann Powers every Wednesday at 3 p.m. Pacific Time Right here on the bottom line of business talk, Voice America Business. Learn to thrive, not just survive in business and careers. Unleash your full potential and greatness with the Thrive Factor, unleashing your potential. With tactical coaches and success masters, hosts Dory Willer and Eva Gregory. Dory, Eva, and their masters of thriving, expert guests, inform, educate, elucidate, and inspire with leading-edge information. The Thrive Factor, unleashing your potential. With Dory Willer and Eva Gregory, broadcast each Thursday at 9 a.m. Pacific, noon Eastern, on the Voice America Business Channel. The Thrive Factor, success and inspiration at the click of a mouse. The bottom line in business talk, Voice America Business. We're back with Design Matters with Debbie Millman. If you have a question for Debbie, feel free to call us at 866-472-5790. Once again, here's the host of Design Matters, Debbie Millman. Welcome back. It is 3.47 Eastern Time, and you are listening to Design Matters with Debbie Millman. I am your host, Debbie Millman, and my guest today is designer, design critic, curator, and editor, Kenneth Fitzgerald. Kenneth, before the break, I think I teased our listeners with a quote of yours about uh, design having a death wish. This is a quote of yours. Design has a death wish. It constantly seeks to eradicate itself. Do you, why do you feel that way? Well, it's all tied together with, um, you know, um, you say everything, every, every, you know, art has this death wish of trying to uh, disseminate itself out there to make more designers and to raise the appreciation uh, of it. Um, that was like the, you know, the main point, that sort of activity. But I think another element was, was me teasing just some of the inconsistencies and the, you know, the, the contradictions I see. Like what? Designers. What are some of the contradictions that you see? Well, um, I, that big one, such I was talking about, where um, lots of talk about um, um, design, you know, what it's supposed to do, and listening to the, you know, the client and really, you know, researching, and well, then you know, it gets judged within the design field largely on the fact of, you know, beauty show. So, like, well, you know, let's let's talk about the the aesthetics about it and it's, it's you know, well that kind of you know constant conflict if you can't get your story story straight uh oh well no wait let me let me ask you about that though so you do you feel that designers so are you pro or or con research um i think you can't know too much so you pro research oh you Absolutely, and, and and thinking very intensely. You know, what is this thing I'm going to be making? You know, who's it for? How is it going to function in this world? How is, have they dealt with this situation uh, before? 
Um, I just question how much of that actually, you know, goes on, how deeply people think about it. I you know, look in design magazines, and what I mostly see is waves of certain cycles of formal, you know, uh, formal activity, so it's like graphic languages sort of like working themselves out. And, um, you know, people saying, oh, that looks interesting, and understand they say, well, I have to make my design look like that, so it gets recognized as graphic design, it seems contemporary, um, rather than saying, well, you know, it might be that to, for this thing to function, um, I have to forego the design award or something. Well, it's interesting because I think, you know, you can look at the UPS example, the UPS logo as an example where, Paul Rand's original logo was far more beautiful. You know, I think that would win the beauty show, so to speak. Research was done. A new logo was created. It was, I'm sure, quantitatively with a lot of statistical significance uh, proven among consumers, you know, the audience, the, the, the people, <laughs> that this was the preferred logo. And, you know, the entire design community is in an uproar because of this new design that's brought to market. I mean, how do you, how do you balance those issues? Um, well, I don't know. That original UPS logo always sort of puzzled me. Wasn't this story that Paul Rand shows it to his daughter and said, oh, it's a present, Daddy, and right. it's supposed to be a good thing. It's like UPS doesn't, I guess it does deliver presents, but, you know, it's, that's, I should I say, well, it's a good thing, so you're looking forward to it, but, I don't know, it kind of seemed like, wait a minute, that's that not quite what they're doing. Well, I think, yeah, exactly. I mean, that's an aesthetic beauty, beauty, you know, situation where, you know, people like it because it might make them happy or, it's, you know, has a certain charm to it, and yet, you know, it's not necessarily evident of what the company is delivering, you know, in this, in this day and age. So, therefore, it becomes something that needs to be changed. Yeah, that's, that drives a lot of it. You know, the, the, the companies aren't dumb to the extent of why they hired Paul Rand then and why they hired these people now is they realize we have to look contemporary. We have to we have to seem part of this. And, um, yeah, it's going to look dated. You bet it's going to look dated in a few years, and so they'll, you know, get another one or the aesthetic will change and, um, you know, uh, a younger generation of designers will look at the new UPS logo and say, cool. Yeah. Um, Kenneth, we have a caller. We have Billy from New York. Billy, thank you for calling Design Matters. Thank you. Uh, Mr. Fitzgerald, I've um, been listening to the show, and I heard a lot of negative things, uh, such as the design death wish and not any, no good designers out today. I just wanted to know what is good out there today? What keeps you excited and interested in the business? Um, meeting people and talking to, to them. It, it's like... Um, in the abstract, I say these things, but you know the designers who I've met, who I've who I know, um, I you know I want them to be successful. I want them to be happy, and and you know, the overwhelming majority of people I I've met and had contact with are are honest, hardworking, sincere people. Sometimes they have some ideas which I I would uh, sort of tease tease them about. Um, I mean, there are, you know, when you ask who, um, interesting, um, I think more in terms of basically because what I do, I, I, I love to read stuff. I love the ideas involved. And so, um, I could name 
the, the people um, I know who are doing things well. Those that you know, like me, um, and um, and that's that's what I'm excited about. People who are who are you know writing, who are trying to you know keep ideas going. And do you find that they're mostly in the academic world or in the business world? Um, well, mostly in the academic world because that's that's just the realm where it happens. I can understand that someone who's in the business world. Um, um, they they have to concentrate on that. And if you want me to pick somebody, um, they're in New York. Um, our, our friend Sam Potts, who was a really you know bright guy, loved mm-hmm. you know what he wrote way back when in, about the rant issue. And you know I'm sorry he doesn't you know write for uh, speak up anymore. But I understand. I, I understand that you you've got to have your your priorities. And um, and so it's a shame, but yeah, I understand it. Thank you for calling, Billy. Thank you. Um, I have to ask you this question, Mr. Fitzgerald. Um, I'd actually rather have a rather robust conversation about it, and I've unfortunately left it to the last three minutes of our show. But you had said that maybe design should be left to people inspired by the nutrition labels on food packages. What's that about? That's that's about the the, the Xbox example. Oh, okay, also. it's it's the same thing. I take it? offense to that, given that I work on quite a lot of products with nutrition labels on them. Um, what else? I mean, it, it does what it's supposed to do. I show it to my students and say, this this is you know. Uh, well, Berkey Belzer would probably take some of some uh, some offense to it as well, because I think it's a piece of art. But I think package design in general has uh, you know an awful lot of. Um, Inherent challenge in it, and I think it's 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 it warrants as much of it warrants as much attention of good design as anything else. Um, but I do want to ask you one more question about. Well, I do agree, and I, I want to make it clear that I'm not denigrating the the nutrition label. I, th- I think it's great. I think it's a great. No, I don't mean the nutrition. Yeah. I was talking about packaging in general. But this this one this this is definitely I think a slam dunk negative comment about. Um, Package and brand designers. The grandiose and near mystical promises of branding experts rate highest on the psychosis scale. You know, I I I wanted to, before this sort of um, hire somebody to go you know to your copy of wherever I wrote it. Could you black out those those, <laughs> those lines? You know. um, and I I could say that about just all all kinds of you know human activity where that is that is very um, contemporary that is not not that I'm going to back off you know believing it um, and you know standing up for it but also saying I I don't think it's it's particularly you know different I could apply that sort of idea to a lot of political ideas oh God there. now you're putting your foot in your mouth even more. <laughs> I'm teasing you. Well, I know. I mean, there is something slightly psychotic about you know every bit of the world, but I certainly don't think that anything that we're doing is um, grandiose and near mystical. I'll give you that. <laughs> well, last, last couple of questions before we go, um, because I do have to close. Actually, I only have time to ask you one more uh, thing. What is something few people know about you? Huh. Um. 
I, I don't know. Maybe people don't know that, you know, my undergraduate degrees, I'm, I was a ceramics major. Oh, yes. And, That's uh, a wonderful thing. I was never in danger of becoming a ceramicist. I got out before I gave the field a bad name. But well, lucky for us, because otherwise we wouldn't have all these profound thoughts coming out of you. Well, we've come to the end of our broadcast today, and thank you so much, Kenneth, for being, for being with us. Um, you've been just really incredible. Just my research alone this week was, was a journey that I love taking. Um, I'd like to thank Brian Travis and Ruben Colomb at Voice America. I'd also like to thank the staff, my partners at Sterling, especially Lisa Grant and Jen Simon. Joining me next week is designer Peter Buchanan-Smith. You can see a marvelous uh, article about him in this month's print magazine. I'd also thank, like to thank Adobe and Nina Paper for coming on board and supporting Design Matters. Thank you for listening, and remember, we can talk about making a difference, we can make a difference, or we can do both. I am Debbie Millman, and I look forward to talking with you next week. Voice America Business would like to thank you for tuning in for Design Matters with Debbie Millman. Be sure to listen every Friday at 12 Pacific Standard Time for another exciting hour of Design Matters. Right here on the bottom line in business talk, Voice America Business.